0: Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Tonight, the book of Revelation, session 44, the final seal. So, final seal is the seventh seal. There are seven seals in the book of Revelation. Chapter 6 is the first six one, two, three, four, five, six. We've gone through those one at a time. And covered a number of details related to those uh, seals. And tonight, we're going to skip forward to chapter 8. So we're going to, we'll come back to the themes that are involved in chapter 7 in future weeks. But we're going to skip forward to chapter 8 because in chapter 8 of the book of Revelation is where we find the seventh seal. And so I want to stay in order of the seals here. And so uh, what we're going to look at uh, tonight, and we're going to spend even more time on this in the next session, I believe it's next uh, week, We're going to look at how the 5th, 6th, and 7th seals all go together in a real dynamic way. Uh, So tonight, we're going to develop the 7th seal. And next session, we're going to put all three of those together uh, in a way that um, I think was always intended. Uh, These three seals are uh, maybe the most dynamic, unusual part of the 21 Judgment Series. When you're looking at the seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls, you put these three seals together. There is something very unique about them that is not just unique within the judgment series of the seals; is unique within all 21 judgments. There are just some very unique, interesting aspects, and uh, and so again, we'll wrap all that up next week. So what I'm going to do here is uh, in looking at the final seal, we're going to read chapter eight, Revelation eight one through five. I'm just going to read it to kind of get us started down the path. And then we'll look at some of the details of what it actually has to say. Uh, Revelation 8, 1 through 5. I'm on the top of uh, page 1 if you've got the notes. When he opened the seventh seal, this is Jesus opening the seals, remember. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the, the seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. And when you look at this, about the only word in this entire seal that is a word you would have expected was earthquake. Everything else is telling a storyline that seems so not like the other judgments. <laughs> I mean, all the other judgments you're talking about, you know, plagues and... and, and uh, uh, you've got wild beasts and stuff in the fourth seal, and, and you, it just this one just sticks out in such a way you're like, what in the world is going on here, and how is this a judgment event? Well, we're going to connect uh, the dots here a little bit, and I want to start with this thought process that you, you want to give a little bit of attention. I'll just say it this way. There are some parts of the book of Revelation that if you're not paying really close attention, you'll just read right past it, and it will mean almost nothing to you. You really got to stare at it and look at the details and do some cross-referencing. And so that's kind of the hope here tonight. I want to connect what's happening here to the last seal that we uh, studied um, in the previous weeks, the sixth seal. Now remember, in the sixth seal, we saw a couple of really unusual things happen. One, we saw the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We saw the, the end time fulfillment of Joel 2, the prophecy of Joel 2. And remember what that really means is... The whole church is now operating in dreams and visions and the prophetic as at no time in human history. The whole church. Okay, that's a big thing. That's a big deal. And that just happened chronologically. So if we're in in seal seven, which is what we're looking at tonight, seal six just happened. The whole church has just been filled with the Holy Spirit and is now operating in dreams. And as we talked about in that session, when the whole church is operating in, you could even call it next level revelation, It's so that the church can know God's plan and partner with God's plan. That's the reason the prophetic is given. To encourage and to uh, to direct into the purposes of the Lord. All right? The church has just been filled with the Spirit and the sky recedes back like a scroll. So now there's a window between planet Earth and heaven. So the church is filled with the Spirit, operating in dreams and visions at a new level, filled with power... And now there's a window into heaven that this anointed church can actually see into heaven, just like the lost world is seeing into heaven. Okay, that's what just happened right before this heavenly scene. Which just as a quick little, uh, little just one second, you know, kind of uh, recap of what's happening here. Jesus opens the final seal. All of heaven goes silent for thirty minutes. While that's happening, the seven archangels before the throne, they all line up or whatever, and they're given the seven trumpets, which are the seven trumpet judgments. Every time one of those trumpets is blown, a really, 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 really bad thing happens on the planet. They are given this right after the silence, right after the Holy Spirit's been poured out in the church, right after this window's opened in heaven. That's what's occurring here, but what triggers it, what sets it off, It's silent for about half an hour, and another angel comes up, and he approaches the altar before the throne, and he starts offering a really specific offering. In the Old Testament, there were offerings for this, and offerings for that, and offerings for this, and if you did this offering, it didn't count for that other thing. This offering was specific. It counted for this. This is the most unique and specific offering that's maybe ever been invented in human history. Very unique details, and we'll look at them in a minute. He offers this offering, and then he gets some of the fire on the altar, and he throws it to the earth, I'm presuming, through the window. He throws it through the hole, because we're able to see what's happening around the throne. Jesus is right there. We're able to see this. He hurls it to the earth, And many, many things change when this thing is hurled to the earth. That's kind of the synopsis, all right? To give you a little sneak peek of what's happening here so you can kind of be looking for it and kind of paying attention, and we'll wrap up with this at the end, it's a transference of authority. Significant, I believe this is the most significant upgrade in authority that the church has ever experienced. I believe that what we're witnessing here in this uh, seal is the greatest level of in a day notable impact of authority on the church that when the church prays, things go boom. The most anointed moment, if you will, the most anointed upgrade, the, the biggest impact that in the church's history. I mean, this is gonna go next level in one second where authority is being hurled from the altar in heaven. It's the governmental center of the universe the throne in heaven. Fire from it is being thrown to the earth and the rules change on the planet when this happens. So what we're looking at here is a dramatic uh, event in human history. Now, top of page two, this is mostly just for reference and review if you want it. We've already looked at these themes in previous sessions, but I wanted to just kind of re-advertise them if you needed them and give you a few more verses for study if you wanted to. These are some major themes that are presented in this section of Scripture, in Revelation chapter 8, 1 through 5. But these are ideas we've already covered in previous sessions, but I didn't necessarily give you all these verses. So three of those themes, there's an altar in heaven. That altar serves purposes. I gave you some verses. Prayers in heaven are seen as incense. That's another important detail that's a reference point to previous sessions and previous study that we've done. And also, there is such a thing as intercession for judgment. Not intercession only make the hurricane stop. There is intercession for God start a hurricane. Okay, there is intercession for judgment or intercession to release judgment. And again, I gave you some verses there. I'd encourage you if you're like, I don't like that idea, you're a liar, go read those Bible verses and talk to the Holy Spirit. But there is such a thing as intercession for judgment. Now, the reason I'm I'm giving you these three and kind of re-advertising them, all three of these concepts are showing up here in this passage. And it's, if you're not a little bit familiar with those ideas, this passage is going to do you fits. You're going to have real problems with this passage because that's what's happening here, okay? All right, so let's look now at the great transition of the seventh seal. This is crazy. This is a pivot moment for the planet. It's a pivot moment for heaven. And it starts with, now remember, seventh seal. I don't want us to, to lose the narrative. There are seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls. They go in order. One of the five, six, seven seals. One of the seven trumpets. One of the seven bowls. We are right now at uh, seal number seven. But seal number seven that is opened by the lamb, he opens all of them, in this seal, the strangest thing happens that's so different from all the others. He opens the seal and heaven goes silent. This is not normal in fact, we don't have record of this ever happening before. I mean not that I'm aware of I mean there might be a spot that I 'm not thinking of, but I kind of think there's not. I think this is this is actually on purpose that heaven, which is I mean, I gave you the verse there. Day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And there's tens of thousands of angels that are also singing, and the elders and their crowns are clanging on the ground. And there's a lot of noise in heaven, lots of it. And a lot of noise around the throne where Jesus and the Father are being worshiped constantly. Like as a rule, they are more into let the fire on the altar not go out than we are, okay? And it's constant praise and worship Until the lamb opens the seventh seal, and then the most shocking thing happens. Let's go ahead and say the first time in history. Heaven is silent. You have to understand, if you're a heavenly dweller, your whole world just went, and you just, you're now paying attention. You've never seen this before. Heaven. It says silence in heaven. Heaven is a 1,400 mile by 1,400 mile by 1,400 mile city. Heaven isn't a throne room. A throne room is in the gigantic city of heaven. Heaven goes silent. How many billions angels? How many saints? How many white horses? How many... Everything is silent. Guys, this is one of the most unthinkable moments in the history of the universe the city that has been adoring Jesus, the city that has activity, people walking down streets and feeding the horses and getting stuff from the tree of life and doing the activities and worshiping and, the, and the, the, all, the, all the activity, it stops and it's silent. Why? What is happening here? This is the most important pivot maybe in the book of Revelation. The entire City of heaven is silent for the first time, for about 30 minutes. You know, silence is really uncomfortable for 15 seconds. When you're with people,' just sitting there and looking at each other? What expression does Jesus have on his face for 29 minutes and however many seconds? Like, What, what is happening? The point the universe, angels, demons, evil men on earth that can see through that hole and see the throne. The prayer movement on the earth that is praying and that just got filled with the Holy Spirit. Everyone is supposed to take note. Something big is happening right now. Something unprecedented that would cause all of heaven to halt for a moment. Thirty minutes. You see it? This is really a big deal. This is, this is remarkable. That silence will be felt and seen from the earth, not just in heaven. Felt and seen. And again, right before this, the barrier between heaven and earth was torn open and a view was given to the point where the angry men or the lost men, they went and hid in caves. I'm going to throw this in there. Oh, my gosh, this is so fun. So Alan was with us last week. And we're talking, and we just got into a point where we're just talking a little bit about theology stuff. And I said, hey, I've got one for you. I said, I just want to pick your brain. He said, okay. I said, hey, have you ever uh, given much thought to the sign of the Son of Man? And he said, yeah, actually, I have. I said, okay, okay. He said, I had an encounter with the Lord about it. I said, do tell. He said, "He said I was, I was in a cave under the earth, and everyone was terrified. Everyone was so scared. And it was like the lost men were totally scared, but even the church was scared because they knew, you know, it was like the fear of the Lord on the church, and then like just terror on the lost. And he said, uh, he told me a couple other details, and he said, and then... Someone said, "Look, there he is," and pointed up, and it was Jesus, and they could see Jesus. And they said, "That's the sign of the Son of Man." Well, guys, that's the narrative straight out of Revelation chapter six, related to all the men cr- going hiding in caves and crying out to the rocks. And and Alan goes, I, I jumped. I go, I go. That's it. I go. I said, "That's it's Revelation six, the sixth seal." And he said you're right. He said, that's exactly what that is. He said, yeah. He said, that makes perfect sense. He said, Revelation chapter six, where they all go hide and case. He said, I never thought of that before. It's like the Lord had given him that encounter to show him about the sixth seal. So anyway, I just thought that was super fun. So here we are now. You've got the sign of the son of man. You've got the earth able to see into heaven and heaven is quiet and everybody is freaking out. It draws attention. Maybe the deafening silence draws more attention than even if a twice as loud noise came out of heaven. However much noise was coming through that hole, however much praise and light and brilliance, if it would have doubled or tripled, I don't know that it would have been as loud as deafening silence. It just all of a sudden stops. I think that's probably going to be more terrifying to the lost than even people praising God. It's like, what's he about to do now? Why is he quiet? Make him start doing stuff again. I mean, it's going to freak them out, all right? Well, this is all part of the procession of Jesus to the earth. The king of glory is about to come to the earth at this point. He is preparing the people. He's preparing his church, all of this, the church will have just gone in this, so, in this silence, it's to come right before the heavenly realm transfers to the earthly realm. This is the pivot point. This is the transition. This is, this is like going back to Garden of Eden, like in a real way, starting point, okay? You got the hole torn, and it's like, okay, now everybody, shh, let's just take a solemn moment here and think about what's about to happen and get ready for the transition of the age, Okay? In this, I just I gave you a verse here about Jesus about to transfer authority to those that have just endured the greatest trial in history. Just as a little sneak preview, after the seven seals come the seven trumpets. But the seventh seal, the one we're looking at, it's all about the intercession of the saints that's now breaking forth the next things that are happening. That's what the seven seals is about. We'll look at it in just a moment. The seven trumpets are the terrible judgments. I mean, these are the ones that are like really bad. They are released right after this solemn moment. This whole thing is related to intercession. There's a transference of authority, not any longer just at the the level of authority that the church has now to bind and loose. We're going to go from glory to glory. It's going to actually get all the more intense. And what happens here is there is an upgrade of authority that's given to the church in the seventh seal that now the church, who just got a bunch of martyrdom, who just got empowered by the Holy Spirit, who just got dreams and visions at a next level, which equals more clear day-to-day partnership, she now is endowed with authority for her to actually pray and release the trumpet judgments that now the church is the one releasing the trumpet judgments. Jesus undoes the seals. But we're going to see that the church is interceding for the trumpets. Okay, I gave you a couple verses there. The angels in this moment, the silence in heaven, this is all connected. The silence, the seventh seal, and the seven trumpets, they're all connected because look, I saw the the seven angels who stand before God. These seven angels, not seven angels, the the seven archangels, the ones we read about earlier and we did a study on. These seven that stand before God and the seven trumpets were put in their hands. But these seven trumpets are put in their hands related to the seventh seal. All right, let's look at this offering, because really we've just been kind of skating around the real subject matter of the seal. We just kind of started a little bit at the beginning. I told you a little bit of how it ends. But let's talk about what is the seventh seal. What is it? Here it is. Another angel who had a golden censer, he came and he stood at the altar. This is the golden altar before God's throne. He was given much incense to offer. Count the stuff. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense... Together with the prayers of God's people, went up before God from the angel's hand. After all this happened, then the angel took the censer and he filled it with the fire from the altar. But this is a different fire than was there 15 minutes ago. This is a fire that got there from these specific elements that were put together. He took the fire, uh, he took the censer, filled it with the fire from the altar, and he hurled it on the earth thrust it, hurled it, pelted it. He takes this from the altar and he hurls it to the earth. So let's talk about these details. The golden censer. The priests in the Old Testament, they would have these censers and these censers, they would served a number of purposes, but the primary was, it was like a fire pan in order to be able to get hot coals off the altar and go do something with those hot coals, to move the hot coals from the altar in order to be able to get them off of the altar. So it's like a, They they called it a sensor. It served a number of purposes after that, but it's like a it's like a coal bucket, okay? But it's a coal bucket on the end of a stick, because you don't want to stick your hand in that fire. It goes owie, okay? So you got to stick this thing. You got to figure out a way to scoop up the coals from the altar in this sensor in this bucket. All right. This angel walks up to the altar, armed with one of the primary priestly tools. It's a tool of a priest. It's not a tool of an angel as we know it. It's a tool of a priest. He walks up to the altar. That's priesthood. He walks up to the altar in heaven with the censer. And I just want to give us this, this passage in Leviticus 16, 11 through 13. It's a passage about Aaron and Aaron's job as the high priest, as as the head priest. Here's what his job was. Aaron is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar. Wait, wait, didn't we just read that? Didn't we just read that in Revelation chapter 8? Aaron is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense. Coals and incense from the altar. Huh. And take them behind the curtain. He's to put the incense on the fire before the Lord. And the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover. The smoke rises before the Lord. Okay, so here's what I'm saying here. This angel, who, by the way, came before Aaron, this guy was first. The priesthood in heaven was before the priesthood on earth. The priesthood on earth is a copy of what's happening in heaven, okay? The real priesthood, like the big one, the fullest one, of which we are a shadow, it's happening around the throne in heaven. This angel is operating as a high priest. And he's scooping the incense and the coals in order to offer a very specific offering to the Father, which then is going to accomplish a very specific thing. That's what's occurring here. The golden altar before the throne. I just, I'm going to spend a couple of minutes on this because this is, this is remarkable. <laughs> this altar is in heaven. Do we remember... The coals from Revelation chapter 6 and the sixth, uh, the fifth seal. Do we remember the coals in Revelation that are under the altar in heaven? They're the souls of the martyrs. Okay? So the souls of the martyrs are under the altar. Okay? They're acting as the coals to keep the fire burning. All right? The, co- the souls of the martyrs. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about the coals here. I mean, this is so intense and intimate and beyond our understanding. Well, let's look at what happens back in Ezekiel chapter 10. We actually have a picture of what's happening in Revelation chapter uh, 8. We actually have a picture of it happening one time before. We have a picture of it where someone gathered the incense and the coals from the altar in heaven. Not the altar on earth, the altar in heaven. They gathered them and they, uh, they did something where they got them from heaven and put them on the planet. Let's just read it real quick. I saw the likeness of a throne of sapphire. This is Ezekiel 10, one through seven. Throne of sapphire uh, above the expanse. This is talking about the heavenly throne, okay? That was over the heads of the cherubim. The Lord said to the man clothed in linen, go in among the wheels beneath the cherubim Fill your hands with burning coals from among the cherubim and scatter them over the city. The city is Jerusalem on planet earth. This altar is the altar that's that's connected to the wheels that are part of the living creatures. Okay, if that's a little bit past you, just don't worry about it. What's happening in heaven right now in this scene is probably Jesus, whoever it is that's called this, the man in linen, the man clothed in linen, The man clothed in linen is told by the father, scoop up coals from under the altar, you know, the altar in heaven, and get them into Jerusalem because I'm about to judge Jerusalem. The Babylonians are going to come in and completely destroy it. It's not going to exist anymore. I am going to completely judge and destroy the city of Jerusalem. So man clothed in linen, get some of these fiery coals from my altar and put them in that city, because I know what that means. That means that city go bye-bye. When the coals from heaven touch the earth, it's judgment. When the coals from heaven, from the altar in heaven, touch the earth, it is judgment, it is significant judgment. So he says, take the fire from among the wheels, from among the cherubim. And then one of the cherubim reached out his hand to the fire that was among them. And you look at the the context of what's happening here, right after this Ezekiel passage, the judgment is the most unthinkable moment in Israel's history. You know, back in in their ancient history and in their storyline, you've got the desecration, decimation, destruction of Jerusalem. It's gone and it happens right after coals and fire from the altar in heaven are put or thrown or gotten to or placed, what's the language here? Scattered. When the the altar coals from heaven are scattered in Jerusalem, Jerusalem's fate is sealed and it's done. This happens in Revelation chapter 8. The fiery coals and the fire from heaven is hurled to the earth. It's judgment. Well, how does that happen? It gets hurled to the earth, but what happens first? First, we're told about two somewhat mysterious, one super mysterious element that's on the altar. The first is the prayers of the saints, the prayers of God's people. Now, when you look at the the prayers of God's people, because it it says it like specifically, it says, and there were the prayers of the saints. Uh, Revelation chapter eight, verse three, he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of the saints on the golden altar before the throne. Well, when we read Revelation chapter 5, we saw that whole concept of the harp and the bowl, and the bowl was filled with the prayers of the saints, and it was incense in the bowl. Now, these might be ideas that are a little bit difficult for us to get our head around, but at least we can accept them, that they are real. Our prayers rise up to heaven as incense. That incense has a tangible nature, and it's burnable on that fire. That's what's going on when our prayers go up. So here we have in Revelation chapter 8, the prayers of the saints are once again incense on the throne, on the, on the, uh, the altar before the throne. But then it says this really interesting thing, because in addition to the prayers of the saints, which we know are incense, in addition to that, it says this, he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of the saints. So the prayers of the saints are one type of incense, but then there's this much incense. The heck is this much incense? And why is it different from the other incense? I mean, these are two different things, and it's really clear in the passage. You're talking about two things being offered on this altar. One, the prayers of the saints, which we know from Revelation chapter 5, it's in bowls, it's incense of some sort. But this other mysterious element The much incense. I'll just skip ahead. I believe wholeheartedly it's the intercession of Christ. He's before the throne constantly making intercession. His incense is also put into a bowl like our incense is put into a bowl, but it's of a different sort. But now we've got the partnership of the prayers of the saints on the earth and the prayers of the high priest Jesus in heaven. And they're both being poured out on the altar before the throne in heaven. And the dramatic impact, just, can we just be honest for a second? If Jesus is praying, his prayers matter. If we're told our prayers turn into incense and we're made in the likeness of him, his prayers turn into incense. But his prayers, it would make sense that there's a way for them to commingle, but also be separate. These are the prayers of the high priest and they're being offered. And they're offered on this altar and the impact is all of heaven goes silent a an anointed angel that's operating as a priest comes and he mixes together the prayers of the saints and also this mysterious incense and when he does it creates an offering that is unlike any offering in the history of humanity it creates a unique offering it creates a pivot point it creates a transition I believe Jesus has been sitting around with wisdom that we don't yet have, praying rightly, which we don't yet pray, for the trumpets to be released on the planet. Now, that's not all he prays. That's not all this is about, but it's in there. Jesus, with perfect wisdom, knows the book of Revelation and knows the trumpets are coming, and with a right heart, right attitude, right timing, has been praying, I promise you, for the purposes of God in the last generation, which include the seven trumpets. He's been praying that, but a time is coming when the church will actually catch up in maturity. How about after we get the snot beat out of us in martyrdom in Revelation chapter six, the fifth uh, seal, when the whole church is suffering martyrdom and now in humility, we're pursuing Jesus and Jesus says, oh, a humble church, a humble heart I've yet to deny. Now I'll pour out my spirit on a humble church. Now I'll fill you with the Joel 2 promise of the anointing of the Holy Spirit because now you'll be doing it without selfish ambition. You'll be doing it in partnership with me. That church now, I will then empower with authority to release the greatest judgments in human history. That's the church that gets the anointing. That's the church. So, the smoke rises before the Lord. It goes up before God. Profound effects. Let's just look at this. I'm on a page six. The profound effects of what occurs here. So, after this very special offering that... I mean, you just have to pay attention to the details. You can't dismiss it and go, ah, you know, that's just an angel who's bored on Tuesday. He's just doing something up there. No, no. It just got quiet. They all forgot, you know, they all got busy and took a quiet lunch. Like, these details are all part of the story. They all matter. This really unique offering, the pivot point. Well, what happens? The angel took the sensor filled it with fire from the altar, hurled it on the earth, and there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. I don't want to go into all the details of that. What I do want to give you is a very interesting passage that we've already looked at that I think is helpful in helping us understand what is occurring here. That phrase, thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning we've already read that. It's in Revelation chapter 4. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder. Revelation 4, 5. Now, why do I bring that up? Because the governmental center of the universe is the throne. What happens at the governmental center of the universe? Among other things, rumblings, lightning, and thunder. Rumblings and lightning and thunder are part of the climate of the governmental center of the universe. This angel hurls an offering fire from the altar and hurls it to the earth. And now, do you know what happens on the earth? The exact same thing that happens in heaven, on earth, as it is in heaven rumblings, peals of thunder, and uh, uh, lightning. It's the same exact details. Now it's happening on the earth. So there's a transference of authority. Not not that heaven doesn't have it anymore, but that heaven is imparting something that wasn't there a minute ago to the planet. Something very unique, enough to get heaven to stop for 30 minutes, is happening. It's a pivot point. It's a transition on earth as it is in heaven. (laughs) We can't even get our head around that one for a second. What's the governmental authority around the throne in heaven, it's pure, it's supreme, it is yes and amen. What about when that happens on the earth as it is in heaven? Well, then the saints with anointed dreams and visions can release the seven trumpets in a right heart, in right timing. There's a transfer of power. So really, you're asking me my question back at me. Okay. Okay, okay, so uh, so the fourth question on the notes tonight was, what does it mean that the spiritual climate, the rumblings, thundering, lightning, is being imparted to the earth? And uh, the point was made that what's added in this particular moment is when the thing is taken from heaven and it's turned to the earth, you not only have the three things that were clearly there in Revelation chapter 4, but you're also added this earthquake di- dynamic. Well, part of this is you've got heaven is is throwing, hurling. I mean, that word hurling, it's almost like the same idea as uh, in some of the later judgments that we're going to look at when things are being hurled to the earth that are giant, big, cosmic things being hurled to the earth, like a huge mountain. So this thing being hurled from heaven when it hits the earth, yes, of course, at least it causes an earthquake. I mean, that's kind of almost like a given almost because it's something... It's something tangible and and violent that's being hurled from heaven to the earth. But so what's happening? I use the word spiritual climate, and I just want to be honest with you. Um, There's a lot of interpretation happening in this presentation tonight. But I want to give you an interpretation because I think the default is to not interpret this at all. Read the words and try to get something that makes more sense. So I want to give us an interpretation. And let us look at it and stare at it and poke holes in it uh, theologically and go, well, does this agree with what the rest of Revelation says and the rest of the storyline and the rest and the rest? And to get us kind of thinking down that line. So I like that term spiritual climate. I think what's happening is you've got the governmental center of the universe that is transferring from heaven to earth. Jesus is going to eventually rule earth a minute after that. He's going to rule all of heaven and earth from earth. He's gonna be a man on the earth. He's also in heaven in that time, and we don't get into all those details right now, but he's gonna be ruling the universe from Jerusalem on the earth. I think what's happening here is a transference of the authority of what's happening around the throne in heaven is now being that governmental reality is now being given to Jesus' bride on the earth to be able to rule and reign. I overheard uh, Caitlin in her uh, you know little discussion talking about the permission from heaven to stop the fire on the altar because, oh, don't worry, they've got it on planet Earth. Malachi 1.11 is real. All the nations are singing 24-7 praise and worship. The prayer movement is maybe actually for the first time ever more alive on the planet than it is in heaven. I mean, this is like really a moment that if you were going to transfer the fire on the altar, in our language, from one room to the other, from heaven to planet Earth, uh, you'd need this moment. I think what we're looking at here is a, a transfer of authority, a transfer of governmental leadership, a transfer of the the power, the the uh, the earthquakes and rumblings. I think that there's even going to be a measure of the, you know, in Acts chapter 4, we see them praying and then the place they were meeting was shaken. Okay? There was some authority that we were touching. Acts 2 through the rest of Acts touches on some of the governmental authority that's available to the church. We're gonna go next level. I think some of the, the lightning rumblings and thunder, I think that's gonna actually be some of the marking on the church's intercession in that hour the church that has been tested and tried. I think we're looking at a, a dynamic transference of authority and power, uh, even the culture of the church, the temperature of the church, the responsiveness of, you know, uh, of answered prayers. I mean, even the passages that we've got about, you'll tread on the lion and the cobra. You'll, you know, you'll trample the serpent underfoot. You'll trample scorpions and, and uh, cobras. Well, those are the exact things that come out of the abyss during the trumpets. I mean, those are the things that come out of the abyss. It's things that look like that. And we're given verses that talk about that. But where does that authority come from? Well, more than authority to step on a scorpion or to deal with low-level demons, the church is being empowered with the authority to deal with principalities here in Revelation chapter 8 when the transference is given from heaven to earth. And so I, I think this is maybe one of the most dynamic, dramatic parts of the entire book of Revelation and the end-time drama. So... uh Luke, over here. I think they'd be shaking in the boots. Uh, how will the demonic realm be responding related to the silence in heaven and this, this, like, it's the loudest silence ever. Can we just agree on that? It's the loudest silence ever. And how will the demonic realm be responding? You know, it's interesting because demons know that Jesus is God and they shudder. They're just not saved. They're scared to death. They they understand. They tremble. They, un, they recognize. They also know the Bible. They also know Revelation chapter 8, and they know this is coming, and they know what changes after this. I think there's going to be a significant trembling that goes forth in all of the, the heavenly realm because here's the other detail. We haven't gotten to it yet, but Revelation chapter 12, where all of the dark forces are cast out of the heavenly realms and now their only places on planet earth is really 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 bad that's really bad and that causes life to be tremendously difficult for humans and tremendously long leash for the demonic realm until this point this th- this starts to change the tide because it's almost like there was demonic governmental authority released when Revelation chapter 12 happens at the beginning of the Great Tribulation. Here we've got empowered, heavenly, divine authority now being transferred. And so I think that this is all part of the war. Uh, this is all part of the war in the heavens, uh, but it's, there's battles in a war. It's not all just one thing happening in a moment. There's this side, and then there's this side, and there's this side. So I think that this is gonna be a significant moment of trembling and significant loss when now the saints, I'll give you one more. It says of the two witnesses, they can call down fire and really any plague they want as often as they want in their own free will, as often as they want. Well, where did they get that authority? That's nuts. That's crazy. This is the church being given something of that sort, (laughs) of that sort of order of authority for them to call down the greatest judgments that the earth has ever seen, the trumpets, and then the bulls after that, but the trumpets. And so I think this is a great uh, moment of loss and trembling for the demonic realm. All right, Caitlin. Okay, I mean, I think the way that it reads makes it seem like it's after, but that the activity, this is, I'll tell you how the way I picture it, how I read it is this. The silence happens so that this angel who's serving as a high priest, and it might even be Melchizedek, who knows, who knows who this guy is? We don't even have all that figured out. But here's one thing that we do know. Whoever this, this angel is that's serving as this high priestly role, I think what's happening here is the silence occurs so that all the attention can be on this guy. I think this, this whole scene is happening during the 30 minutes. And what's occurring is all of heaven goes silent so that we can watch this thing occur. This angel is given this sensor. He goes and he does the task. I just imagine all attention is on him in total silence. And at the end of this, he hurls it to the earth. And the first thing that we have happen when it hits the earth or comes through the atmosphere or wherever, wherever the noises start, noises start again. There were no noises. Now there's noises. We went 30 minutes, no noises. Now there's noises. And the noises are this thing coming through the atmosphere, touching the earth. I also believe that that's going to also come into tandem with the sounding of the first trumpet. So now there's noises because we've got permission to make noise again. 30 minutes of silence and now it's noise time again. And so uh, so this whole unfolding, uh, you know, I-, I think is actually what the 30 minutes are all about. I think that the scene that we're describing isn't... 30 minutes of silence, and then after that 30 minutes of silence, things start. I think this angel is doing this mysterious work, and it's got all the attention of heaven and earth, really, because we can see the the throne through the hole. We got the whole attention on this interaction, and it ends, the the end of the 30 minutes, again, as I read it, is it's hurled to the earth, and when it's hurled to the earth, then there's the rumblings, the thunderings, and the lightning, and then the start of the trumpets, so... Uh, Good question. Then nothing back there? Okay. Or did you get? Yeah, please go ahead and comment. Yeah. Yeah, because it's earthly time that's so, yeah, the point that Annie made was even the fact that it's like, it's called 30 minutes and we're, you know, a day is like a thousand years of the Lord kind of, that kind of thought process, but 30 minutes is 30 minutes to us. And it's like, man, this 30 minutes is calling the attention of everybody to, there's 30 minutes of silence and it's really freaky. I mean, the church knows what's about to happen. The lost world doesn't have a clue. The demons are freaked because they know what's about to happen. But we're in like the greatest moment of anticipation. I mean, it'll be the sweetest silence ever. And, uh, and I just imagine it won't be silence in our, silent in our prayer rooms. I think we are going to be making up Uh, for that uh, there'll be a lot of hooting and hollering so great if I can have the worship team or worship leader come on up at this time so again I want to I want to challenge you with this because um, my objective tonight in this session there was a lot of subjective ideas that I'm presenting I want to encourage you don't believe them but don't dismiss them go read it and come to your own conclusions but come to conclusions that are honest about the text Because the tendency when you read a passage like Revelation chapter 8 is just to go, I don't know, and throw up your shoulders. And that's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to get understanding, and the understanding is available. And remember, the Bible interprets the Bible. So your answers to what's happening are in the Bible. And so I want to encourage you to put those details together. And while while we may not have much clarity right now, 2020, about Revelation chapter 8 and the the seventh seal, While we may not have a ton of clarity about it now, we're supposed to get clarity. How do we get that? We have discovery Bible study like tonight. We start throwing around ideas and talking about them and cross-referencing Bible verses and, and talking through details. Here's what I want to get you to think about when you study Revelation and really when you study eschatology. I think this is really important. Don't shoot down an idea without a better one. A more Bible one. Because... It's not enough to look at something and go, I don't like that. Ah, that's just just subjective. You just helped no one and hurt everyone. Why not come up with a more biblically accurate uh, uh, alternative? Okay? So if you don't like the ideas, that's okay. Just don't say I don't like them. Talk about the one you do like from the Bible. Okay? This is important. This is part of our theological training when we're dealing with eschatology. The Bible interprets the Bible... Use the Bible to come up with the narrative. But I think, as I've been studying this for a decade, looking at these verses, I think that this is some version of this with maybe some, you know, nuances. I think some version of this is what's occurring there. Uh, And so I want to encourage you to spend time in Revelation chapter 8, asking the Holy Spirit what's going on. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources or to schedule another TPR teacher to come speak at your church or event, Please see our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Thank you.